स्वामी निखिलानंद इज अ डिसाइपल ऑफ जगत गुरु श्री कृपालुजी महाराज ही रिजाइड्स एट राधा माधव धाम इन ऑस्टिन टेक्सस व्हिच इज द यूएस आश्रम ऑफ जगत गुरु कृपालु परिषद ही ट्रैवल्स अमेरिका प्रीचिंग द फिलॉसफी ऑफ सनातन धर्म एज टॉट बाय श्री कृपालुजी महाराज इन दिस सीरीज ऑफ लेक्चर्स स्वामी निखिलानंद एक्सप्लेन्स द थ्री पाथ्स टू गॉड कर्म ज्ञान एंड भक्ति He reveals the scriptural teachings behind each path and tells which path is the best one to follow. So far in this series I explained about karma and we learned that karma is incomplete without bhakti. I explained about gyan and we learned that although knowledge is necessary to follow any path but bhakti completes the path of gyan and regarding the path of bhakti itself which is the path we're going to be looking at for the rest of this series i told you that there are certain conditions that have to be followed for your path to be successful keeping in mind that the ultimate goal is to attain god so through bhakti we can attain god There's one bhakti that we have to practice that's called sadhana bhakti and when we do sadhana bhakti we purify our heart and that makes us qualified to receive the divine bhakti it's called siddha bhakti or prema bhakti but we have to worry about sadhana bhakti the bhakti we have to do the bhakti god is going to give us his most personal divine power that he'll do when the time when the time comes when our heart is purified so we don't have to worry about that part other than understanding that that is our ultimate goal so how to practice bhakti i explained that according to the bhagavatam it should be nirguna and rup goswami said anya bhilashita shunyam and naradji said kamana rahitam these all mean the same thing do not ask god for worldly things so yesterday i explained why I told you that bhakti is done from the mind and whatever we're attached to is what we're going to attain yanti devavrata devan pitrin yanti pitribrata भूता Sadhana bhakti is the attachment of your mind to God. Just like worldly love is what? It's attachment. You develop that attachment in worldly people and things through repeated thinking. We do the same thing on the path of bhakti. We try to get our mind attached to God. That's sadhana bhakti. The divine bhakti is not attachment of the mind. It's a divine power. God gives you that. But to get there, we have to purify our mind and we purify our mind by attaching it to God. 
So if we are doing bhakti and asking God for worldly things, then I told you yesterday, it means that our mind is still in the world. It's not in God at all. (laughs) We're just multiplying attachment to the thing that we're asking God for. We're not multiplying attachment to God. So this was reason number one. That Think about what your goal is. The goal for every soul is to attain God. And to attain God, you have to desire God and you have to ask for God. So when you do bhakti, you don't ask God for the world. That's in fact the opposite of bhakti. You're just multiplying your worldly attachments. Reason number two is that in fact, God doesn't give worldly boons. He honors the law of karma, which governs all of the souls. So whatever actions we've done in past lifetimes, that takes the form of our prarabd karma in this life, and that must be undergone, and no amount of prayer to God would encourage him to change the rules on our behalf. I gave you examples of saints for whom God didn't change the rules. So, praying to God for worldly things goes against the philosophy, in fact, because the philosophy says, what's going to come to you or not come to you? What good or bad will come to you? What you'll gain and what you'll lose? All of that is already decided according to your previous life's actions. So you worry about what you can do in this life. Don't worry about what you're going to gain or not gain in this life. Worry about what you're doing, what you're thinking, what you're doing with your mind. That's what matters, not what you're getting or not getting out in the world. That's already de- it's already determined according to your past lifetimes, actions. So God does not break that law of karma. The only time that happens is when you become God-realized because then all of your past actions are wiped out. But short of becoming God-realized, there's no getting any kind of boon from God. It's out of the question. Reason number three I gave you is that even if God were to keep fulfilling our every desire. Let's ignore the philosophy for a minute and say, God does give us every boon we ask for, or he's willing to. Then there would still be no end to our asking, because what are we asking for? We're asking for something that, number one, doesn't satisfy us, even when we have it, and number two, doesn't even last forever. So, Even if he does satisfy our worldly desires, we'll ask him for more. Then we'll ask him for more and more and more because there's no end to it. No matter how much we enjoy, we can never find it to be enough. There was a a great yogi named Saubhari Muni. The account of his life comes in the Bhagavatam. He was a great yogi and he stayed at the bottom of a big lake. He didn't have to breathe because he slowed down his physical processes to the point where he didn't even need to breathe except every once in a long while. So he stayed down at the bottom of this lake with the fish in samadhi. One day his samadhi had opened up and he was looking around and he saw something that just there under the water watching the fish and the animals under there he saw something that just gave him a thought of oh I'd like to enjoy the world 
he saw someone, some fish or something, just enjoying something, and he thought, maybe I should try enjoying. Just a thought. He said, let me go up and see what, what there is to enjoy. And he walked around. Now, the king of that area was King Mandhata, and he had 50 daughters, all of whom were very beautiful. So Salbari Muni saw them, and he went to the king, and he said, I'll have all of your daughters in marriage. Thank you very much. And the king didn't dare oppose him because he was a great yogi and he thought, well, if I say no, what could happen to me? I don't know. So he didn't have a choice. He gave all 50 of his daughters in marriage to Saubhari Muni. And he thought, how is he going to do that? But what Saubhari Muni did was he created a yogi has the power. It's called Kai Vyuha Deha. He created 50 bodies for himself. And with all 50 of those bodies, he lived with each of those, uh, each of his wives individually. So imagine if you got to marry a princess. So how happy would you be having, getting to marry that princess? You get the wealth, you get the beauty, you get everything. You get to enjoy that for the rest of your life. He did it times 50 and got to enjoy all of that for years and years and years. But then, after so many years passed, he just thought to himself, this enjoyment isn't getting me anywhere. I'm enjoying more than anyone in this world could possibly enjoy, yet I don't feel satisfied. I don't feel any more satisfied than before I tried doing this. So imagine, how much are we going to keep asking God for when even that much doesn't satisfy a person? How much will we go on asking? So it makes more sense to ask Him for divine things because divine happiness can satisfy you forever. So now let's move on to the fourth point. The fourth point is that Yaha Sarvagyaha Sarvavidyasya Jnanamayantapaham Ved says, and we all accept, that God is all-knowing. He knows everything about this world. He knows everything about every person in this world. He knows everything we've ever done and everything we're thinking right now. So we accept this about God, and yet we think it's necessary to interfere with Him. Meaning, He's our Divine Father. Divine Mother, benevolent, kind, gracious, desiring the best for us, our true Hiteishi. And He's all-knowing. And we are little-knowing. Yet we feel it necessary to interfere and say, God, I know you know everything about me and you know what's best for me and you're kind, so you're probably doing what's best for me anyway, but... Just in case you didn't realize this one thing, do you think maybe you could take care of that? So it doesn't make sense. If he's all-knowing, where's the need to tell him? Point number five is, even if God is going to listen to us and follow our instructions, what we want, do we know what's best to ask for? We have never experienced the divine world, and we don't even remember the experience we've had in Swarg, even though we've been there. All we know is the happiness of this world. 
So we can't think beyond that. So how would we know what is the best thing to ask for? If you, uh, let's say you have a, a five-year-old son and you give him a choice. You write a million-dollar check in his name and put that piece of paper, that check, in front of him with six zeros after the one, a million-dollar check. Or you put the newest video game console in front of him. Or never mind the console, just the newest game. And ask him to choose. Now, with that million dollars, he could buy thousands of such games or thousands of such consoles. But if you ask him to choose, he's going to choose the video game because he does not know the value of a piece of paper with a one and six zeros written on it. It doesn't mean anything to him. Similarly, what do we know? How would we know what is the right thing to ask God for? We're like little children who only know our own limited area. We have no idea what the divine world is like. It's like Hiranyakashyap. Uh, he thought he was smart, right? He wanted to become immortal. So he got this boon from Brahma and he thought, okay, I, I can't ask directly for it just make me so that I never die, but in a roundabout way, I'm going to get that boon. So he exercised the full power of his intellect, knowing full well that why he's asking for this boon is because one day he wants to fight against God. So he said, okay, I should not be killed in the day or in the night. I should not be killed inside or outside. I should not be killed on the ground or in the air. I should not be killed by man or beast. And I should not be killed by any weapon. That should pretty much cover all of my bases. And he received that boon from Brahma and then he became very powerful after that. But when God came, God both honored Brahma's boon and killed him. Could you think of a way to do that? No. No material person could think of a way to both honor Brahma's boon and kill Hiranyakashyap. But God said, See, I'm coming as half man, half lion. Lion from the waist up, man from the waist down. So I'm neither man nor beast. You see, the sun has set, so it's no longer day, but there's still some light showing, so it's not night either. It's twilight. Now he grabs him, he takes him just to the entrance of the doorway. So he's not inside anymore, but he hasn't stepped outside either. And he put him on his legs. So you couldn't say he's on the ground, but you can't say he's in the air either. And then using his claws, he killed him because he didn't use any weapon. So you see, we exercise the full power of our intellect when we ask God for all the things that we want from Him, yet there's no way we can know what is the right thing. In fact, we might be asking for the wrong thing. So in that case, would God really give it to us? If a little baby is crawling and sees maybe a knife dropped accidentally, so the baby sees that shiny object and crawls over to pick it up, and the mother intercedes and grabs that knife away from the baby, snatches it away. 
quickly and the baby is upset and starts crying, thinking that you took a toy away from me. The mother doesn't care how much the baby is going to cry because the mother knows what's right for the baby. No matter what the child asks for, the parent is supposed to give the child what is right for them, not what they want. And since God is the perfect parent, so God does not give us what we want, God gives us what's right for us. And sometimes what's right for us is the opposite of what we think. Sri Krishna says in the Bhagavatam, Tam bhranshayami sampadbhyo yasya chechamyanugraham He says that those whom I want to grace, I take away the objects of their attachment. If they have a high status, I make them fall from that status. If they have things that are making them, uh, giving them pride or, you know, giving them some arrogance that they have this thing, I'll slowly start taking those things away from them. He was actually talking to Indra when he said this. After the Govardhan Leela, he said, Indra, I arranged this whole thing because I knew you had this pride of being Indra. You thought you were like God. So I arranged for you to lose your pride. You see, Tulsidasji says, Sukhake ma te silaparao, Namahiyate jaya, Balihari va dukhaki, Jo pal pal namarataya. He says, praises to that misfortune that makes me remember God. <clears throat> and let that pleasure, let that possession, whatever it may be, let that be taken away from me if it makes me forget God. Because, ihaivaikasya namutra chamutraikasya no iha iha chamutra chaikasya there are four kinds of people in the world. Only four kinds. Two are very normal to find. And two are very rare to find. The two that are very normal are the one who has pratishtha in this world. Power, wealth, prestige, and does not turn towards God, does not feel in his heart that he needs God or wants God. He may donate money to build a temple, but inside that feeling wouldn't be there that that I, I'm a fallen soul and God, I need your grace. So that's normal to find such a person, number one. Number two, Someone who has no pratishtha, no wealth, no power, no prestige. And that person does humbly cry tears towards God. That's also very normal, very natural. The other two are very rare. The one who has everything but still humbly cries tears before God. And the one who has nothing 
yet doesn't turn towards God. Those two are very rare. Therefore, when Sri Krishna told Kunti Devi to ask for a boon, said, you ask for something, I'll give it to you. She asked, you can say she broke the record of all boons. She asked for such a boon which had never been asked for before. Give me vipatti at every step of my life. Misfortune, loss, suffering. That's what I want at every step of my life. Krishna was stunned. What? What are you asking for? She went on, Janmaishwarya Shruta Shribhi Redhamana Madha Puman Naivar Hatya Bhidhatum Vai Twamakinchana Gocharam. Because Krishna, Twamakinchana Gocharam, you are attainable by those who are akinchan from inside. Because when we feel that we have nothing, then where will we turn? We'll turn to God. We'll talk about ananyata in a couple of days. Ananyata is also one of the conditions of bhakti. It means only depending on God from your heart. Not feeling that I depend on my bank account or my strength or my intelligence or my friends or my family. I, From inside, it doesn't mean you throw all those things away, but from inside, I only depend on you. So Kunti Devi thought it would be easier if you just took all those things away from me then for real I, I would achieve that state from inside and I would easily attain you. Because those who are given a high and noble birth they're likely to have a pride about that. Mud. Those who have wealth it's quite natural to have some intoxication of pride, of having that wealth or power or beauty or strength, whatever someone has, we have a pride of it. We don't even realize, but we get a subtle intoxication in our mind about how beautiful or how strong or how intelligent or powerful or wealthy we are. So she says, the boon I want, just take all of those things away from me. Then I'll become surrendered to you. So this is the adarsh of our scriptures. This is the ideal. And take that on one side and look how we pray on the other side. Look how we do bhakti. We ignore all of that and we just come to God with a long list of things that we want. So it's time to change that. If we want to really practice sadhana bhakti, I would say this is the first sticking point. Like a great separator, you can say. Like in the Olympics, you know, maybe in the 100 meter sprint final, to get to the final, first you had to run a heat, then you had to go in the semi final, then you got to run in the final. So, although we say everybody qualifies for bhakti, so everybody can run in the first heat, but how many people will make it to the semi final? Those who accept this first point that I gave you. You have to stop asking God for worldly things. Make that pratigya from today and then see the change in your bhakti. So another facet of this is being ahaituki. 
Ahaituki means not loving God for any reason. See, in the world, we love either because someone has a certain behavior that we like, or they have other qualities that we like. So because of that behavior or because of those qualities, we love people in the world. See, in the world, understand it this way. There's three kinds of prem, three kinds of love. There's dena, dena, to give and give and give and give. There's lena, dena, where you give in order to get. And there's lena, lena, where you just want to keep taking. Now, in the world, we all are familiar with number two and number three. Taking, we all want to take, definitely. We want people to agree with us. We want people to behave in such a way that makes us happy. So we want to take, but we also give, knowing that love is a little bit like a business, that if you don't give, you're not going to get. So we know Lena Lena and we know Lena Dena, but we don't know true prem, which is Dena Dena. True love is just giving. So that lesson we have to learn on the path of bhakti. It's a bhavana. Do we actually have anything to give God? No, we don't. But it's a feeling we have to develop. That feeling is bhakti. We're bhikchuk, anadi kalse. We're beggars. And he is data. It means... He has everything in his possession. Nanavaptamavaptavyam. He says, Arjun, there's nothing in all the three worlds that I that isn't already mine. What do I have to attain? So what could we give to God? Bhikchuk Data Kodankaran. It doesn't make sense. So first we have to understand that point. But what do we have in our possession? We have a material body which is of no use to God. It's of use to us because we can do karma, we can do bhakti with this body, but God has no use for our body. We have a mind. That's of no use to God either. I mean, we use that mind to think, but we could offer our mind to God. It's still of no use to Him. Our possessions, they already belong to Him. Our soul, he's already giving life to our soul. That belongs to him too. So we have nothing to give him yet. If we want the best thing from him, we have to develop that feeling of wanting to give everything. See, he has a law, a rule, that if you ask, you'll get nothing. And those who ask for nothing, they get everything. So we want to do that bhakti where we don't ask for anything. Why? Because we want everything. We do want everything, no doubt. Everything means we want God, we want His darshan, we want His divine love, divine bhakti, we want all of that. But how will we get it? By asking for nothing and giving everything. Even though we have nothing to give that God wants, yet He says it doesn't matter. I know what you have. It doesn't matter if it's of use to me or not, give it. <laughs> you give it to me, and I'll give you all divine things in return. Just a straight up trade. 
But we've never wanted to take that gamble with God. That, oh, what if I give you my everything and you don't give me anything in return? It's like a gamble, right? Like getting married is kind of a gamble. You size up the situation the best you can based on what you can see of the other person's qualities and qualifications and looks and everything. You make your best guess and think, I think I could be happy with this person for the rest of my life. Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. It's a gamble. So we think, is that the kind of gamble we're afraid with God? In fact, we've taken that risk in the world uncountable times and uncountable lifetimes, yet we've never taken the risk with God even once. We've given our life to our spouse in every life. We've never agreed to that deal with God even once in uncountable lifetimes. So it's time to develop that bhao. That God, I give myself and my everything to you. And I'm not asking for anything in return. Take behavior. See, in the world, we love according to a person's behavior. We do not love unconditionally. If a person keeps behaving in a way that makes us angry or feel used or disrespected, eventually our love for that person will disappear. To the extent that person behaves in such a way that makes us happy, to the same extent we love that person. If they make us happier, we love them more. We don't think about it that way, but it's true. That's human psychology. Someone that you love very much, who starts mistreating you, your love starts coming down. Eventually, it will come down to zero. And someone that you didn't think anything of, if they start behaving in such a way that makes you happy, your love for them starts to grow. So in the world, this is the lena dena. This is the business of love. But you might be surprised to know in bhakti, we're not supposed to base our devotion to God on that. Not that God misbehaves or mistreats, but we shouldn't have that expectation. You see, take an example. Chaitanya Mahaprabhuji says, Ashleshya vapadartam pinashtuma madarshanan marmahatam karotuva yatha tatha va vidadhatulam pato mat prananathastu He's praying to Krishna and he says, Krishna, I'm giving you a challenge. My challenge is that I know you can only treat me in one of three ways. Either you can show affection to me, or you could do the opposite. You could treat me like an enemy. In fact, you could pull up your Sudarshan Chakra and put an end to me. You could do that. Or, number three, you could just ignore me and just pretend you don't even know me and never talk to me. One of these three things, either you're positive towards me, negative towards me, or you become neutral. So my challenge is that in 
either of these, in any of these three cases, my love for you will only go on growing. See, it's the opposite of worldly love. The exact opposite. That's why Chaitanya Mahaprabhu Ji says, in fact, in his mind, worldly love is not love, it's calm. It's just desire. Ataeva kame preme bahuta antara. Kama andhatama prema nirmalabhaskar. He says, when you put a condition on the love and you have a desire from your beloved, he says, that's just kam, that's just desire. It's not love at all. And he compares it to the deepest darkness. And he says, true prem, that's like pure sunlight. When you're looking out for the happiness of your beloved, instead of looking for your own happiness. So, prem is without desire or demand from the beloved. It's love to love, because it's your nature to love. You see, uh, there's an example. Well, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu Ji said in that verse that mat prananatha na eva para you are the lord of my soul you're giving life to my soul I'm only related to you there is no other for me so where would I go even if you did mistreat me where would I go like if there's a two year old child and the mother scolds the child and the child starts crying where will the child run for comfort to the lap of the mother the same one who just made her cry so you're all I know where am I going to go that's what Mahaprabhuji is saying that you treat me anyway it doesn't matter I am only yours I'm not looking at anything in other words like Tulsilasji gives the example of the papiha the chatak it's a bird which is famous for its devotion to the clouds of Swati constellation Swati constellation is in the ascendant only for a couple of weeks in the autumn. So the, the Chatak bird will only drink water that falls from the clouds in the form of rain during Swati's ascendance. So you can say he's an Ananya Bhakt of Swati constellation clouds. He will not touch water from any other time of the year or any other source. Now this Chatak does devotion to his beloved 12 months of the year and only gets water two weeks of the year. But for 12 months, Jache Barahamasapie Papiha Swati Jala What does his beloved do to him? He sends lightning. In other words, like uh, you can say, if someone's scolding you or teasing you or insulting you, thunder. Again, more scolding. Hail, heavy rain. In other words, negative behavior from the beloved. You can say like, 
in our case, in our relationship with God, when we get something we don't like in our life. So that Chatak, Roshana, he never got angry. He never looked at the behavior of his Priyatam and said, Hey, if you keep behaving like this, forget it. I'm going to find myself another beloved. Which is what we would do in the world, because who in their right mind would keep putting up with such behavior for so long? Yet, on the path of bhakti, we have to change our thinking. It means that no matter what happens in our life, if God gives us something good in our life, thank you, take it as prashad from our priyatam, shamsundar. And if we get something negative in our life, accept that with the same gratitude, because it's being given to you by your beloved. See, look in the Mahabharata. When Sri Krishna saw that, you know, if Bhishma keeps fighting, he's going to put an end to the whole Pandav army and we're going to lose this war, I have to do something. And even though he had sworn he would not pick up a weapon in this war, he jumped down from the chariot and grabbed a broken chariot wheel and he rushed towards Bhishma. Now, imagine the scene. Bhishma is standing on his chariot and he sees his Ishtadev, Shri Krishna, running towards him with the intent of killing him with an angry look on his face. His teeth are clenched, his eyes are red, his brow is furrowed, and his pipamber is fluttering in the wind as he runs towards him. Now, what was Bhishma's reaction? He laughed. Out of happiness, He laughed. First of all, he was happy because he had sworn a vow that, Oh, Krishna, you've sworn a vow not to take up a weapon. I'm going to show the world that you are bound by the love of your devotees. I am going to make you pick up a weapon in this war. So he was laughing because Krishna had bowed to the desire of his devotee. And then seeing Bhishma smiling and laughing like this, Krishna stopped in his tracks. Thought, what is he laughing for? You know, <laughs> he should be running the other way or raising his, you know, bow and arrow towards me. So seeing this, Krishna stopped, put down the wagon wheel, and he went back. But the point of this is that afterwards, once Arjun had uh, hit Bhishma with all of those arrows, and Bhishma Pitama was lying on that bed of arrows. For six months, while he waited for his time that he wanted to die, he did Rup Dhyan. means he meditated on the form of Krishna. And what form of Krishna do you think he meditated on? That form of Krishna with an angry look on his face, running towards him, holding that chariot wheel. Because everything of Krishna's is madhur. It's sweet. His love is sweet. His anger is also sweet. It's like sugar, right? No matter what form you make it into, it's always sweet. So if you make some sugar cookies, and uh, let's say you, you make some in the form of an elephant, some in the form of a horse, some in the form of a turtle, you make all these different shaped cookies and then you bring it out to the kids. And the kids are fighting over, I want the elephant one. No, no, I want the elephant one. No, I want the turtle one. 
And you know it doesn't matter which one they get because they're all going to taste the same. They're all made of sugar. So whatever God does is sweet. That's how we should take any behavior of our beloved Shamsundar. So whatever we receive in our life, we should take it as his prashad and our love for him should grow even more. This is one of the reasons that our bhakti doesn't grow, is that we're not ahaituki. We put a condition on our love that God, you should at least give me X amount of happiness and pleasure in my life. You know, at least this good of a family and at least this much financial stability. And so we tie our feelings of devotion and faith to our physical success in the world. True bhakti leaves all of that aside. The true devotee challenges God. No matter what, my bhakti will only go on growing because it's not dependent on anything. No behavior of yours, not even any quality of yours. In the world, we also love because of qualities, meaning beauty, it's like a quality. So, we love someone because they're beautiful, or we love someone because they're rich. Whatever the quality may be, as long as that quality remains, our love will also remain. And when that quality reduces, our love will also reduce. There's an example of a very beautiful girl named Yogashila. She was a yogini. She practiced yoga. Now one day, a king came by, and she just lived with her father, and uh, they lived in a very simple hut. One day the king came by and he was so struck by her beauty that he came up to the father and he said, I'm going to marry your daughter. The father didn't have a choice. The daughter didn't want to get married to the king. The father didn't want to marry his daughter to the king. But he didn't have a choice. So Yogshila had an idea. She told her father quietly. And then her father told the king. He said... Can you come back in one month? She'll marry you definitely, but after one month. So the king said, sure, but he surrounded the village with his army, so there would be no escape, and he waited a month. During that month, Yogashila, using her power of yoga, yoga agni, the fire of yoga, she dried out her body the point that she became totally emaciated, even her face. It just looked like there was nothing but bones left. Then after a month, the king came, knocked at the door, and Yogashila answered, and he said, uh, I'm here for uh, that beautiful girl, Yogashila, to take her hand in marriage. So she said, I'm her. <laughs> and he said, no, you're not. I want Yogshila. Where is she? And the father came to the door and said, This is my daughter. This is Yogshila. Take her, you know, please marry her. The king said, no, no, I'm not marrying a rack of bones. That's not what I came for. So Yogshila says, What? So what did you want? My muscle and skin? Is that what you wanted? So it means that we love beauty. It's a quality. But true bhakti is not dependent on any quality of the beloved. Narad says, Guna Rahitam. 
No dependence on the guna, on the virtues of the beloved. In the Bhagavatam it says, Ahaituki. It means the same thing. Not having a, a condition that I love you for this reason. No, no reason. Hetu means reason. Ahaituki means no reason. I just love you. That's real bhakti. There's a shloka that sums up this whole difference between ahaituki bhakti and sakarana bhakti or sakarana prem. Vriksham chena phalam tyajanti vihaga shushkam sarasarasah pushpam paryushitam tyajanti madhupa Dagdham vanantam mrigah Nirdravyam purusham tyajanti ganika Bhrashtashriyam mantrina Sarvam karya vashad jano bhiramate Kasyastiko vallabhah as long as there's fruit on the tree, all the birds come and they hang out in the tree and they enjoy the fruit. But as soon as the fruit is all eaten up, do the birds stay around? Nope. They fly away. The swans will float in the pond for as long as there's water in the pond, but when the pond dries up, do the swans stay around? No, they go and find another pond. The bees will frequent the flowers, those plants, for as long as there are flowers there. But as soon as the flowers drop off the plant, the bees go and find another flower. When a forest has burnt, the deer don't stay around. They go and find a nice green forest. When a minister has lost his post... Then his uh, sub, his cabinet, his servants, they don't stick around. They'll go and serve the next minister. So in this way, everybody finds what they need, but nobody is truly looking out for anyone else. In other words, we all have a reason for our love. Parvati did devotion to God Shiva, renouncing everything to gain his hand in marriage. After she was sati, she was with God Shiva, then she left her body, she came back as Parvati, and she wanted to get married to God Shiva again. So she went to the jungle and she did extreme austerities and devotion to God Shiva. So in order to test her love, Saptarshi means Naraji and the six other original Rishis of our earth planet. They came and they, they tried to convince her that, why do you want to be with God Shiva? They were going to test whether she was loving him for his gunas. He doesn't have any good gunas. You should, lo- you should desire God Vishnu. You see, Vishnu is beautiful. He has all the wealth. He has all the prestige, everything. God Shiva, look, I mean, he's got snakes and scorpions crawling around on him. He wears that, that uh, mala of skulls. Look at who he associates with. Spirits and goblins. He hangs out in cremation grounds. He doesn't even have a proper house to live in or even proper clothes to wear. 
Is that who you want to make your husband? So Parvati's response was, Janam koti lagi ragari hamari baron shambhu naturahau kumbari. I don't love God Shiva for any of his qualities. He is mine. That's the reason I love him. He is mine. And even if I have to keep doing devotion to him for millions of lifetimes, until I get him as my husband, I will remain Kumari. I will not marry anyone else but God Shiva. One time two gopis were talking and it's the nature of the gopis to get a reason to talk about Krishna, sometimes they'll do his burai as well. It means they'll try to find some faults in Krishna. So in this case, one gopi was teasing another gopi that uh, why do you why do you have affection for Krishna? He has no good qualities. He's so dark complexioned, first of all. Second of all, he breaks all the rules of society, meaning like of good behavior. He's so naughty. So why do you get attached to such a person? The other gopi said, Gopi, you don't understand. Sakhi, Asundara Sundara Shekharova My beloved may be Asundar. He may have no quality of beauty. Or Sundar Shekharova, he may be the topmost in beauty. Gunair Vihinam Guninam Varova. He may have no good qualities, or he may have all the good qualities. Dveshi Mayasya. He may treat me badly with Dvesh, with enmity. Karunam Budhirva, or he may be the ocean of kindness. None of that matters to me. Krishna Saye, he alone is mine. Madhyagatir Mamayam, there's no one else for me. So this is Ahaituki Prem. We have to learn this. So not only not asking God for anything, but in addition to that, developing those feelings that although there's no question of God's unlimited qualities ever disappearing, and no question of God ever mistreating anyone, nonetheless, we should develop that feeling that, Krishna, I am not developing this prem for you. I'm not doing bhakti to you because of any quality you have or because I expect any kind of certain behavior from you. In fact, quite the opposite. Tat sukha sukhitvam Narad bhakti darshan I'm doing bhakti to you for your happiness. Again, we understand that we have nothing to offer him, yet that should be our feeling. That whatever I'm doing, I'm doing it because I want to make you happy. I have no demand from my side. So these are the first two conditions. Kamanarahitam, not asking him for anything, and gunarahitam, or ahaituki, 
not having any condition on our love for him, just loving him for the sake of loving him. That's it. Or loving him for the sake of his happiness. We'll learn more about that in the days to come. There's one more brief condition that I want to cover tonight. That is the condition that bhakti is independent. We've already covered this, both in relation to the path of karma and jnana, but since it's mentioned both in the Bhagavatam, Abhyavahip, this word comes in the Bhagavatam, and in Rupa Goswami's verse, Jnana karmadya navritam, no avarana of karma, jnana, yoga, tapascharya over bhakti. Meaning, bhakti is supreme, bhakti is independent. Bhakti Tisvatantra Sakala Sukhakhani Ramayan Bhakti is totally independent whereas Jnana and Karma and every other path Tehi Adhina Jnana Vijnana They're all Adhin to Bhakti They're all dependent on Bhakti This you've already heard explained in detail that no path but bhakti is whole and complete because only bhakti takes you to God, meaning that through bhakti you become surrendered <clears throat> and through surrender you receive God's grace. And that's the only means of getting liberation from maya and paramananda prapti. Therefore, bhakti is good on its own. Don't add karma, don't add gyan, don't add yoga, don't add any other practice. Just do bhakti and you'll attain God. But just do karma without adding bhakti, that won't work. Just follow the path of gyan without adding in bhakti, that won't work. Do austerities, do yoga. No other path will take you to God without bhakti. But bhakti itself is independent. So it means that maybe you want to practice yoga for physical health. That's good. But it's subservient to bhakti. So any other practice you're adding in, it's not that bhakti needs to be supplemented, but you can say, okay, yoga is good for health, so I'll practice yoga. But I'm not practicing this yoga as a path of God realization. It's just for physical health. So like that, other practices can be added in in a subservient way to bhakti. But bhakti always has to be on top, supreme. And what about the results of all of those other paths? We already talked about this. Yat karma bhir yat tapasa jnana vairagya tashchayat Yogena dana dharmena shreyo bhiritarairapi bhagavatam. Whatever result you could get from any other path, you get it automatically through bhakti. Maybe someone says, no, 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 I just want to go to Swarga. I don't want to attain Paramananda from God. I don't want Maya Nivritti. I just want to enjoy in the celestial abodes. In this verse from Bhagavatam, Shri Krishna says, that's fine, you can get that just by doing bhakti. <laughs> so bhakti gives the outcome of karma. Maybe you say, no, I don't want divine bhakti, I just want liberation, maya nivritti. 
Okay, you don't even have to follow the path of Gyan for that. You can just do Bhakti and get liberation. So Bhakti gives the outcome of the path of Karma, the path of Gyan. You might say, hmm, I just want Yogic Siddhis. So I'm going to follow the path of Yoga. You don't need to do that either. Even if you don't want God-realization, you just want yogic siddhis, the path of bhakti can give you that too. Bhakti gives the results of all other paths. Not that those things are worth asking for, as I explained yesterday, but the point is that you don't have to supplement bhakti for any reason, no matter what. Bhakti can give you whatever you need. So bhakti is totally independent. Yadurlabham yadaprapyam manasoyanagocharam tadapyaprarthito dhyato dadati madhusudana Garud Puran. Listen to this. Whatever is unattainable, whatever is impossible to reach by any means, in fact, whatever is even beyond your imagination, you can't even think of, God will give you all of that. Dadati Madhusudana. To whom? Again, to the one who doesn't ask. Tadapyaprarthito. Aprarthito. Prarthana means prayer. In this case, it means asking. Tadapyaprarthito. Dadati Madhusudana. To the one who doesn't ask, he gives all of that. Even what you can't even think to ask him for, he'll give you that too. So this is the greatness of the path of bhakti. So we know that on the path of bhakti, we don't have to ask God for a single thing. We just have to become surrendered to him. Yet we know in our mind that our ultimate goal is to receive that divine power of his, his most personal power, what we call prem or bhakti, siddha bhakti. That is our ultimate goal and God will give us that automatically if we just surrender to him with no other desire in our heart. But we have many other, several other conditions that we have to learn about if we're to follow this path of bhakti correctly. And the next one is going to be about the actual form of God upon whom we're going to meditate, which coincides very nicely with tomorrow's Janmashtami celebration. So tomorrow I'm going to be explaining about the actual form of God, how God's form is eternal, It's real, it's not imagined, it's not a form he took on, it's his eternal form and he's omnipresent with that form. And with the same form he appears in this world and it's that same form that we meditate on when we do bhakti. But all of that will be explained tomorrow along with the secret of Krishna's birth. You'll learn the truth that Krishna was never born. So I'll leave it at that and you can come tomorrow for the Janmashtami celebration and hear the rest of the philosophy.